Welcome to the realm of magic and mystery, classic horror and sci-fi. You are now entering the House of the Unusual podcast with your hosts, Eddie and Joe. Welcome all you cool ghouls and friendly fiends to the House of the Unusual podcast. I'm your host, Joe Pavlansky, and with me as always is the maestro of mail order mysteries, Eddie Guevara. Today's returning guests are the amazing Dr. Roberto Boyajan and world-renowned certified hypnotist Michael Mesmer. Gentlemen, how's it going tonight? Very good. Happy to join you, fellas. All right. So I know we've we've had both of you guys on before, but for maybe there's some new listeners popping in. So uh, I'm going to give you guys a chance to uh, fully introduce yourselves, let everyone know uh, what it is you do, and uh, we're going to start with uh, you there, Dr. Roberto. Oh, good. I'm in New Jersey. I'm a medical doctor. Eddie and I are friends. We've known each other for 30 years. We grew up around the same time, so we're interested in the same thing. On, um, you know, it was all before all video games and things like that. So we grew up using our own imagination, and we are, kind of grew up in the same area, and we played around in the same places. So we have a lot of common history. So it's grown from there. Awesome. And uh, you, you say you're a practic- practitioner of general medicine, is that correct? I'm like a general medical doctor for adult patients, correct. Awesome. And, and you know, we're all very, you know, our condolences for having known Eddie that long and having to. <laughs> <laughs> well, he wasn't that bad when I first met him. He's gotten a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And uh, Michael Mesner, you're back with us again. And uh, thank you for joining us. And go ahead and tell everybody about uh, yourself and what you do. Well, great. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. I am a clinical hypnotherapist. I hold a degree in psychology. I am the hypnotherapist of the Unger Medical Concierge Group in Rancho Cucamonga, California. But also, I'm a touring magician. I've traveled all over the world doing my danger magic, where I swallow razor blades and break arrows with my neck and things like that. And then also, I'm a writer for Scary Monsters Magazine, which I have a story, as we all know, uh, on the on the uh, shelves right now at Barnes & Noble and Scary Monsters. And um, Um, more recently I have been doing a lot of ghost hunting, which is also really awesome. And then, um, I just signed an agreement to write a book for a publishing company on ghost hunting. So awesome. Awesome. Well, well, gentlemen, thank you for, uh, being returning guests with us. And, uh, Eddie, I'm going to turn it over to you. What's, what's new at the, uh, the house of the unusual. Well, everything's happening like it's supposed to be happening, man. We're, We're getting bigger and bigger. We're getting more listeners on a weekly basis. And the best part about it, like tonight, for example, we have these two great guests on, and we have a topic that's going to knock everybody's socks off. Well, first of all, I also want to mention and say to you that we're about to sign on with the company that will do the NFTs or non-fungible tokens. We're getting, House of the Unusual is getting into the crypto world. And pretty pretty soon, we might even be offering uh, your very own crystal, uh, crypto sand. This way, you won't get in your your in your shorts, <laughs> in your socks, or anything, and you'll be able to buy virtual sand. Now, that's only a joke, anyway. But, uh, <laughs> or is it? <laughs> or is right. It? So, uh, Mike, uh, both you and the doc, uh, both of you come from a medical field. You come from a psychology field, and Doctor Boyajin comes from where uh, you know the internal medicine because he's he is an internal doctor, internal medicine. Um, my question is, uh, when Dr. Boyajan and myself, and you as well, because uh, we're all about the same age, give or take, Joe being a little younger, but growing up with the same, I think, Joe, you kind of grew up in the back end of things when comic book companies were just not there anymore, but you still wanted to order stuff because you still had some of them available. But anyway, growing up back in the 70s, we had a lot of imagination. We built things based, we're like we could take a cardboard box and build a, and we would be with it for the longest time Um, and we would grow with this and it would be there with us and we could play for hours and hours without even having a video game so my question is starting with whichever one of you wants to start first um, what do you think is what makes us different from back then to today what is what are we missing today and what are what were we missing back then that would make us either was it a better generation was it a more uh, a generation that was able to learn more progress more or do you think today's video games where kids have video games and don't have anything else to 
you know, they don't even think about collecting any of that stuff because it's just really, you know, and, and in fact, most collectors today are more like adults and stuff. They buy, you know, from pop heads to whatever, but they lack uh, as much a sense of collecting as we did back in the day. So go on. Whoever wants to go first. Uh, go ahead, Dr. Boyajo. You want to start? Oh, no, I'm listening to what you think. I think if those video games were available when we were kids, we would have played with them too. You get addicted to it because it's playing into the human mind. Weaknesses in the human brain, like you'd want to watch TV. It just takes it to a, mother, a different level. I mean, in the long run, I think it really affects the, your, your brain function. It makes you less create, creative because you're really interacting with the computer rather than interacting with your own brain. So it, it's almost like it interferes with your ability to survive long term. So yeah, I, to, to me, I think it's very destructive. I think you have to stay away from those things. And I was just, I kind of got rid of my iPhone. I just use a flip phone for it because I just don't want to turn to that all the time. It turned out to be like a big waste. Of, uh, I think you need all your brain power to really to function and survive. And I think it's much more difficult now in business and just to live more stress and things. So you need your own brain. You need to function optimally. A lot of that has to do with what you're eating, your nutrition, are you exercising, you getting enough sleep. But interacting with computers and things, I, I just don't think it's healthy in the long run. What's your input, Mike? Well, uh, I would uh, tend to agree with do the doctor saying it to, an, uh, to an extent. Um, I will say that um, I think they can be a wonderful tool also, just speaking about the games and all that. But you have to regulate your kids and make sure that they use them in, the, you know, in a limited fashion. But, but truly... Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, they have started to negate the creativity and the natural creativity in people today. Um, you know, when we were growing up, uh, you had to use your imagination. I was just talking to my daughter uh, when I heard the subject matter for tonight. I was talking about how uh, when you listen to music, like we used to listen to the Beatles, like uh, we'd listen to um, Sgt. Peppers or whatever, or the White Album, and, and you lay in your bed. And your mind would just take off in all different directions. And you could see all these things that maybe they never even intended on you seeing, but it just was your mind and your imagination. And from that, maybe you created something new that was different. But now, because everything's thrown at you and pre-thought and pre-programmed, uh, it gives very little space for young people to have that creativity and to be locked into anything. And also, the fast pace that everything goes at now, uh, you were talking about collecting and the fast pace is what's what's great right now what's great right now and everything changes on a 24-hour basis one minute they like this song one minute they like that it, it goes so fast it's so it's so lightning fast that there's no time for them to just you know sort of ruminate into something and really love something to the extent that they want to collect it i you know i i definitely agree and i you know we we always talk about lack of imagination lack of creativity and i, I uh, before we got on, I was talking to uh, Dr. Roberto. I said there was a, a news article I ran across that I wanted to bring up and and get your guys' a, opinion on. And you know, one of the things that I, I, you know, and I grew up in the '80s and in the '90s, and one of the things I always enjoyed was art. You know, whether it was older art or or more contemporary art. You know, I, I always enjoyed it. You know, painting, sculptor, sculptures, um, drawings what have you, whatever. And I, I like to dabble in it a bit that, you know, it wasn't any good, but I, I just like to do it. You know, it was the fact of right. creating something. So I ran across this article and it, it, it kind of really shocked me. It was a, um, there was an Italian artist and he looks like maybe in his late sixties, early seventies, his name is Salvatore. I believe it's Garu G A R A U. And he recently auctioned off a sculpture for 15,000 euros, which is roughly $18,300 American. And the thing with the sculpture is that it's invisible. There is nothing there. <laughs> You're and kidding. I, I, I'm not kidding. I, I, at first, I thought this was like, you know, a, a joke article from The Onion or something. But it, it's, an, it's an actual article. And here's what, here's what he says about it, you know, before I get your guys you know, opinion on it. Um, the art or the, uh, the title of the sculpture is called I am. And uh, what he says about it is, oh, uh, the vacuum, he says it's more like a vacuum. There's nothing more than a space full of energy. And even if we empty it and there is nothing left, according to the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, that nothing has a weight. Garou said of the statue, according 
to uh, AS.com. Therefore, it has energy that is condensed and transformed into, into particles that is into us. And the, and the, and the person wait, wait. that <laughs> this the is per- insane. This is the, crazy. The, yes, the person that that bought the invisible <laughs> piece of art received a piece of paper saying that they need to put it in an area that's at least five feet long by five feet wide. <laughs> wait, wait, one second. Is this guy related to Todd Matchin? I'm telling you. <laughs> I mean, because I mean, I have a feeling that that might be his uh, his brother or something. This is something I could I mean, see, you know, Eddie and Todd doing, trying to sell some well, kind of well, visible no. product. Yes. Well, Todd sent me a 60th anniversary of uh, the Sea Monkey mug, and there was nothing in the box. <laughs> I had an empty box, and then they started, and he said, "Well, I sold you nothing." He's been trying to pitch this, uh, you know, uh, invisible goldfish for some time now. So it's a possibility he's the one behind the uh, invisible, uh, what do you call it, statue there? Yeah, it's it's an invisible sculpture. And, you know, and I think it was I think it was late last year. Somebody sold a, a piece of art and it was literally a, a banana with a piece of duct tape on a on the wall. And, and they sold that <laughs> for thousands of dollars. And, and you know, we, we talk about creativity, but what, what's happened to the world of art? There, there's, nope. There's no creativity there. No, no, no. We, we don't need creativity. We need to find out how to get all these bubbleheads that invest money in this and get them on board the House of the Unusual. Yeah, really. <laughs> we, we, can sell, we can sell them virtual <laughs> And then he could fire. finally retire and get his jet. Exactly. Yeah, his invisible jet. <laughs> no, Wonder Woman already has that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you know, see, she beat me to it. I should have bought it before she did. Right. Right, <laughs> So, so what what is your guy? What is your guy's take on this? On on this, I guess this new way that art is going, where people are just throwing anything together and selling it as art, and now it's invisible. They're selling in something that's in, that's not even there. The guy made money off of nothing. <laughs> well, you know, uh, from my end, I mean, it goes back to the emperor's new clothes, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's the old tale, and I guess what's old is new, and. People are just so, I mean, you know, art has always been unusual, especially modern art. Um, I was in a home a few weeks ago. I was doing a show in this billionaire's house. And on the wall, they actually have a a real Picasso over their fireplace. And and I thought to myself, I can't relate to this thing. You know, it's like it might as well have been invisible because probably would have been more (laughs) pleasing to be invisible, to be honest. I know it was worth millions, but uh I just, I thought to myself, art is very subjective, as they say. And so, you know, I guess to some people that are really rich, that's really cool to have an invisible statue. (laughs) I mean, I got a few invisible statues at my house that if anybody wants to give me a few grand for, I'd be, I'd be willing to part with them. We'll just put it that way. I mean, I really don't want to, you know, because they're, they're limited collect collectibles, but I'll part with my invisible statues. You you know, let me bring this in really quick. I just emptied out one storage unit that I had. I might actually go on and sell it. It'll be uh, an empty storage unit uh, for sale, a few thousand, you know, and there's a bunch of invisible stuff in it. But I was going to say, Joe, do you have the Sue Storm (laughs) statue then? Who is it? Sue Storm. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's invisible. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was gonna say because you know she's the invisible woman, right? Yeah, oh, yeah it's, right. it's invisible. Right. Yep, Come, it comes with the base, and I'll even give you a certificate of authenticity. Too. Oh wow! <laughs> is the is the certificate invisible too? Because that would be the important thing. Yes, you yes, the certificate's invisible, but awesome. But I, I will I will give you my guarantee as a gentleman that the, that she is there and the and the certificate is there. So make and, sure and, that you have a two by two space. You know. That, that could fit the invisible woman there. And she, and she would know, look hot. She would look hot. You know, honestly, the, the funny thing about it, that the first person that actually marketed this, just like you said, she would look hot, that's good. The first person that marketed this back in the 60s was Harold Van Brahut. Now, Harold, as you guys know, was the owner of Transcience Corporation, now headed by his widow, Jolanda. And Todd Mitchin is a big part of the group now, uh, where he's on the board of directors and everything. He does all the ad work and stuff and packaging for the company. Hmm. But if you guys remember, uh, in the 1960s, Harold actually pitched the idea of the invisible goldfish. So we could say that in a sense, he was the pioneer to today's modern craziness. Now, one thing I wanted to bring up to you guys, 
what we were talking about the NFTs uh, with the House of the Unusual is that the company that's now doing it's a company that was launched and I think it's spearheaded by Aoki, the famous uh, DJ player. Oh, wow. And he's behind this company. And one of the things that they do that makes a difference, as you guys know, recently Christie's and Sotheby's has sold digital art into the millions of dollars, especially in March. Somebody gave, I think it was $62 million for some crazy digital piece of art. And then there was uh, one guy who came up with this little black kid with a big helmet that says he wanted to grow up to be an astronaut. He made the digital product of the kid, sold it for almost $3 million. And I think Walt Disney is now um, licensing the product of the kid to do a, a, a cartoon uh, movie of him. Now, here's the important thing about it. What makes the company that's trying to sign House of the Unusual different is by the one spearheaded by Aoki is the fact that the company, anything they create digital will have a tangible product. So here, say, for example, you are a collector. You have a huge collection. Like Mike, say, for example, you you travel the world and you have a huge collection of, uh, you know, hypnotic stuff, whatever. Sure, yeah. You will then take, let's say, for whatever reason, uh, you want to keep it, you're in your 60s, but you don't want to sell the stuff, but yet you would love to. The way you would do that is quite simply this. You you transform, I guess we're getting some, I'm trying to hear it because I'm having some echo in the background. Uh, you will try, they will take the, the products you have, whatever they are, and they would make them digital. And the way they make it your product your wow would be would be tan you still stay with your product so it'll be like on consignment it gets sold and then the digital part of your product the nft which is called a non-fungible which are not reproduced will have a tangible product behind it but if the person who bought the the, the digital part of it ever wanted the original they would have to connect with you and then, you know, because you've been paid already for the product. Um, you would still hold the product. Of course, it would have to be insured and all that. But the other good part about it is the fact that now, anytime the deed sells between different people, you get a, a percentage of that sale. Mm. So you can have one deed. You can have one. There's there's some noise there. Do you? Is any of you guys making noise? It's coming out on the air. I'm oh, sorry, I was just doodling. Oh, that was, yeah, that's, that doodling is coming out. Yeah, Serious? Out. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, it was coming out. I thought. I was gonna, I thought Eddie, was are, are you making invisible art, Doc? Eddie, do you think <laughs> there are aliens listening to your program, and when they come to this planet, they're going to contact you first? Well, you you had me scared there because I saw all that background noise, and I thought it was aliens. I was like, oh my right. god! Right. Well, the the thing is, he, he's producing his invisible art. So Eddie, well, Eddie must be the top guy on the planet. Let's go talk to him first. <laughs> well, the thing I wanted to tell you guys, though, that this company has a lot of promise because Ioki is a multimillionaire as he is. And he might actually come on our podcast in the in the near future, right. uh, just depending how this thing goes in with them. And I like to see how that turns out, you know. You know, and that, that brings up too. you know, with the the uh, the digital, you know, collection and all that, we really see a a huge transformation in just how, you know, collections are going, because, you know, up until, you know, what, a year or so ago, everybody, everything was you had to have the physical copy. Now, a lot of people are, are demanding digital copies of stuff. So is that still really, you know, do you guys really consider that collecting or how would you consider that? Well, you know what? Here's my opinion on this, okay? The digital world right now, because of crypto coins, is growing and there's a lot. See, the idea with digital thing is not everybody understands it. Wall Street doesn't understand it. Wall Street doesn't like it because they can't control it. So they're trying Good to somehow, point. the government needs to somehow get some control of it. But here's the problem with this. What it is, is people are investing in something they hope will eventually become not a tangible product, but a way of doing business. So they're they're investing on things they hope will one day become something, not in a tangible way, but in a in in a in a in a conventional way, something that could be used. Now here's the thing with digital. What makes this thing with the NFTs with House of the Unusual different is that you can approach people like we would approach people 
that our collectors that say, hey, listen, you're 80 years old. You're going to be dying soon. Your collection is now in your hands. You don't want to sell it because you've been doing it all your life. But if you die, it's going to go to the goodwill of whoever the family member wants to destroy it. But what about if you can now digitize your collection, you still hold on to it because whoever buys the digital product obviously doesn't want the actual product because it it's the digital product they're purchasing. So you could probably have that collection paid for making money constantly on residual income from each time the deed or basically the digital products changes hands and you still hold on to the tangible product until you probably die. And then whoever the company that converted it into a digital product would have to obviously take it at the end. But who cares? You've already been paid. You live with it. Now you've passed away. You kind of did. It's kind of like selling your collection before you die and still holding on to it. So that's what makes it such a unique turn. Now, now, Doc and, and, and Michael, you guys have been, you know, collectors for, for years and into all this stuff. I'd like to get your guys' opinion on this this digital stuff and what you guys think of it. And uh, Michael, we'll start off with you. What, what's your whole opinion on this whole, this non-tangible stuff and digital collecting? Well, I think it all comes down to the, the ultimate quality of it. I mean, really it comes down to uh, enterprise 1701 D I mean, the hologram holographic deck, you know, uh, eventually we'll all be living in the holograms. We'll all be having everything. that will be digital and we'll be experiencing even, um, you know, being in movies instead of watching them. And so we're all heading that way anyway. It's just a matter of tripping over the technology on the way. But eventually it'll be like Star Trek. It'll be like the holograph, holograph deck. And we'll just all be, um, you know, having our collections. You'll have like like Eddie was saying, it'll be, you can live in your collection. You can live in the museum. You can live in the Louvre Museum. You could whatever you want. And there it is. So you pay a, you pay a, uh, like, uh, it's more like actually Quark on DS9 where you pay for the Suite program and rent it. And then you go in there and you can have any kind of collection or program or anything you want. So that's, that's really where it's ultimately going to go. But uh, right now we're just tripping over new technologies all the time. And each one is a, a footstep towards a holodeck. You, you know, that, that's a that's an interesting concept. You, and it reminds me that this Sunday I was over at Buddy's house and um, he his son brought over. He had the virtual reality set, that Oculus, which oh, I, yeah. had, I had never tried it before. I was kind of always leery about it. I didn't think it would be really realistic. And um, he put a few programs in. One of them was a roller coaster and. I, I tell you what, I actually had to sit down because I was, as the roller coaster was moving side to side, you know, my body was going and it was, you know, you have a 360 view of it and it, it, it's very real. And there was another program where you're kind of in this space and you could pick up things and you could look at them in a three dimensional view. Right. So, like you said, you know, you could be living in your collection you know, who's to say down the road that you put on, say, like an Oculus type virtual reality set and you put in a program and it's your entire collection and you could interact with your collection in this virtual reality thing. And then when you take it off, you know, you're back in your, you know, one or two bedroom apartment because you don't have the room anymore for whatever reason for your collection. But when you put this headset on, you know, there's your your whole collection, you know, there again. So it's it could be going, you know, in, in that direction. And uh, Dr. Dr. Roberto, what's your, your take on this whole digital thing? Well, I'm upset because Eddie told me I can't doodle anymore. <laughs> <laughs> God, I'm not going to school. Honestly, can I give you an honest opinion? I mean, you got to be like kidding me. It's like we're becoming more and more unrealistic because I got to like, deal in the real world every day. So you know what I tell my students? I have students that work with it. I say your most precious commodity as a doctor is your brain, your ability to think. And in the medical world, everything's changed now. Everything's becoming more corporate. And um, they give you algorithms to figure out what's wrong with patients. And I told them, this is all ridiculous. You have to sit and think and listen to every patient. So once you start getting from reality, you're less able to function as a human being. So we keep moving away from reality because it's too difficult to live. It's very difficult to survive. It's never been an easy thing. So really, that's what we're talking about. Everything's making it more and more and more convenient. And I think we're the only species on this planet that lives in these unrealistic worlds. And I think it's very destructive in the long run because we can't survive as individuals. 
I don't think we were ever supposed to get past to the point where we have to survive every day. And that's what we're doing. We're making things too easy. It's very destructive to the species in the long run, because I think it's going to affect your ability to survive. That's you know, what it, I really think. I it's think true. It's true. I, th- I think it's very destructive. And I, I, I agree. Think we're going in the wrong direction. This I is agree. not normal. You know, ants, I tell my students this, I say, ants have more traditional values than human beings do because they work collectively or like a bunch of bees in the beehive or a bunch of birds they fly together in a flock to protect each other or a, or like a, a herd of buffalo it's like we don't do that anymore we're, we're acting in a very destructive way so i was just watching something on tv tonight about the world war ii and I, you know after pearl harbor within a very short amount of time the entire country converted into a war machine which was virtually impossible to do but we were able to do it and create the bomb. And it was just amazing all the things that went on. I think once you start getting away from that, then you're getting into um, getting to be. I don't think you can live in a virtual world, the computer world. I think it's very destructive. I don't live in that world. You know, and and I, I definitely have to agree with that, too. I think there's a, a fine line. And, you know, one of the things about, you know, we talked about having your collection in a virtual world. One of the things that I like to do, and I'm sure there's many people out there that if you're a comic book, collector or you collect vintage pulps or books is i i I love to smell the pulp paper of the the comics i mean you want to play with it of course yeah that's real there hasn't opened up you know an old comic book and just smelled the paper and just you know you're feeling you're you're actually feeling a piece of history you open up an old magazine you're feeling a piece of history you know you you lose you lose that when you go to digital you lose all that you know the senses you only have it you, you know just your sight and maybe some sound depending on what you have but you lose you know some of your senses when well, you you know what happens there. eventually something's going to happen and then you have to start acting normal again like this pandemic happened everybody has to start taking care of themselves it brings you out of this unrealistic world we all live in then you have to start acting or if there's a power failure then you have to start figuring out how am i going to survive you know these are all the things that we've just completely lost the ability to do and as a human being you're supposed to be able to survive as an individual you live collectively as a group but you have to be able to survive as an individual you know, you know nobody, you nobody's going to come out of the internet and help you when you have a problem and this is like all nonsense you you brought up a good, a good a good point there doc you know if everything we have our collections and everything starts going more and more digital what happens when the very real possibility of an EMP happens in the United States and wipes out everything electronic and digital, then what? You, you then could whatever. have a month's worth of food in your house supply. That's what <laughs> you do. Then what happens to people's collections, to everything that they've stored, you know, online or digital? It, it, they, they lose it all. Right. You I know, it is strange. Why do people collect things? Why do they save things? I was kind of thinking about that. You know, Eddie, why, you know, you, you're a, you're a huge collector. Eddie, what, what do you, what, what's the reason that you started Let's, collecting let stuff? Let me get Mike, uh, let me get Mike's, uh, Mesmer's, uh, opinion on this before I answer that. And I think I have a good answer for that. Go ahead, Mike. Um, why do I collect things? No, 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 yeah. Mike. What, what did you want to say concerning what the doctor mentioned earlier? Oh, well, I agree with him. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think there's any way to stop them. Once you let the pen open Pandora's box, it's pretty hard to close it again. So that's kind of what it comes down to. I mean, I agree. I, I don't particularly want to have my collection the way, you know, in, in a holodeck or anything. But then on the other hand, you know, you can't stop mm-hmm. progress. We all know this. And um, so I, I even though I totally agree and I would like things to be more uh, traditional and more analog, uh, as we see, music's moved on to digital, and there's just not much you can do to stop the wave until something, maybe a, 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 what you were talking about, where a, a magnetic pulse bomb goes off or something and everything ends, and people realize, yeah, now we've got to go back to this. But until that happens, I think it's very hard to turn, turn the train around if, as well, such. Well, here, here's my, my take now, Mike. That you, here's what I think the situation is happening. We're having a world that's digitizing. They're doing all these virtual things. And in a way, it's like the doctor said, it's to get out of the world of reality because reality is tough. So you want to get into a virtual world where it starts getting a little dangerous is when you start getting into like, for example, uh, for people pleasuring themselves to whatever, to the sexual world that they try to digitize, which believe it or not, this is part of what's happening now with all the digital media and stuff like that now. The thing with the tangibles and non-tangible products is, as I was saying with the uh, the company, 
is you would still have that that world of the tangible product. You would still have your comic books to smell. The only thing, obviously, you would be selling the deeds of it. It's kind of like a house deed. You live in the house. You sell the deed to your cousin or something. You move out. Your cousin owns the house, but you're still living in it. That's what we're kind of talking about. But here's the problem. What happens when we go too much digital? Right now with this pandemic, we found out one thing, and, and not just us. The whole world found out one thing. We weren't ready for it. Even though we've been doing movies for the last 50 years about a world pandemic and something like that, when we actually get the real thing, no one knows how to act. No one knows what to do. Doctors have no idea what to say. And that's the same situation. What's going to happen is when one of those powers goes off and we have digitized the world, we're going to find out one important thing that we are not ready to go on from that moment. Because the moment that everything we stood and what we have made our reality, our survival is all gone in a, in a bleep. What are we to do then if we have no experience? And so it's, it's, it's very dangerous. I mean, we're going in a way uh, in a sense, it's, uh, it's kind of like actually written in the Bible where God says eventually, you know, people go in such a way we build this world and, in, 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 you know, we're dangerous. We ourselves as a species are dangerous of our own destruction, but getting more smarter and smarter. I mean, let's be honest. Back in the 1970s and 80s, you did not hear people saying the earth is, I mean, there, it was there, but it wasn't like a mainstream thing. Oh, that we didn't go to the moon, the earth is flat, the, you know, all these stupid things that are around there. But now all this stuff is around. And here's the best part that's really dangerous. Social media has given people a way to talk, has given people a way to connect with other people. And for a good example, they have a doctor that went viral that says with this new vaccine, whatever, thousands of people are dying within two years of the vaccine. All, and, you know, what they did is they took the voice of the doctor. They did a voiceover as he was talking. And you can tell that the lip sync is not. But people that don't know any better don't know. Then you have another thing. They'll say that if you stick a magnet. Oh, 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 here's the thing. If we had the technology to be able to inject a microbe or something into your body so that then we can track you or something. I mean, just think about that. We would be, probably be going to Pluto by now. Um, we just don't have that. It's just a lot of imagination that people go wild on the internet and everybody that listens to it uh, believes it. There's a lot of people out there that lack schooling and just aren't that bright and they believe anything that they're told. Well, you said something about progress. You can't slow it down. I remember when I was in college, there was this professor from Harvard came and he started talking. They just started with recombinant DNA. This was like in the, in the 70s. And he said how dangerous it is and we shouldn't do it. Now it's part of our everyday life. So, yeah, this stuff is out there. It's out in the bag. But I think you have to manage it. That's what you have to do. As an individual, you have to manage it. And if you don't learn to manage it and control it, then it's going to control you. And that's destructive. You know, and, and that that's the key, Doc, is, is controlling it. Like I said, I, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, right at the, the height of where video games started. And, you know, I, 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 could, re, I could remember – I'll give you guys a story here and – I'm, I'm sure people out there can, can relate to this is that when we were growing up, you woke up in the morning, ate your bowl of cereal, you know, maybe watch some cartoons and then you went out and you got your friends and you guys stayed outside all day. Everybody, you know, you played, you did whatever street lights came on, you went inside. And I remember when the, he was a good friend of mine right down, down the street from me, you know, cause there was a big group of kids of us that, that played together every single day. When he got his Nintendo, the original Nintendo for Christmas, everybody stayed inside and was playing it. And I could remember, I, I could remember being over there and wanting to go outside and play. And everybody, they they just wanted to play the video games. And it was like that for for years. A lot of people lost, you know, contact with each other because then they got video games, and everybody started staying inside. And I, you know. A few years after it, I even got an original Nintendo for for Christmas. But you know, I, I played it once in a while. I, I always wanted to. I was a type of person that I wanted to be outside. I wanted to be playing. So now you jump ahead, you know, several decades, and you have these kids who have, you know, they have grown up not knowing 
playing outside, they just, you know, at, you know, you see kids in supermarkets and all that now playing on, on cell phones, you know, two, three years old, they're growing up on this technology. They're not knowing how to go outside and have a, a creative adventure or, or use their imagination. They have all this technology. So they're there. I, to me, they've crossed the line there that, you know, there's a fine line between, you know, balancing this stuff out, but they've lost their creativity. They've put their whole, you know, self into this technology and they're allowing the technology to be creative for them where they're not being creative. I think this stuff is, it's addictive too. Oh, it it definitely is. I mean, you, I, I, I have friends that have, you know, small kids and, it's like hell trying to get them away from the video game thing. And if you try to discipline them and take it away, they throw a tantrum like it's the end of the world. You just but, give up. You have to survive, especially with, you know, you know where you see the problem. Let's say, for example, you go to a local supermarket and you pay a bill and the bill say it's $11 and 22 cents. So you have a $20 bill and you say to the person, tell you what, I'll give you the 20 and I'm giving you the $11.22 or the, the $1.22, so you give me back 10 They're like looking at you like they're, you're, you're from another planet. Yeah, Eddie, no- I can't even follow that. That's how you made all your money? <laughs> oh, no, he used to play three-card Monty on the streets in New York. <laughs> right. He could talk into anything. Well, you, you know what's so funny, though, that you say that, Doc? Look, I, Mike, Mike wrote, a, a, oh, my God, a phenomenal article in Scary yes. Monsters magazine. Right. And it starts uh, as, you know, how we grew up as monster kids where we had such beautiful growing, you know, things like the Aurora monsters, the movies. I saw yesterday an interview, which I, you know, I, it's been around for a while, but I actually saw yesterday with Kirk Hammond from the group Metallica. Oh, yeah. He, he was saying how it meant. I mean, this guy's got a collection like no other has some of the rarest posters in the world and some only one uh, poster he has is like, he's got a three, uh, I think a three sheet Frankenstein that um, that was found that is not supposed to exist because back in the days, uh, those posters were done in stone. It's a, it's a lost art. It's called stone litho. Right. That they actually would put the, you know, the inking from the stone into the thing, but they were done because it was supposed to be a one-time use. You weren't supposed to keep those posters, and that's why they're so rare. Now, this poster appears somewhere in Sweden. He has no idea where, he, you know, how it got there. But Mark Hammond was explaining that the thing he likes the most. Now, here's a guy, not Mark. I'm sorry, Kirk Hammond. He's a guy that super famous, has everything he wants, yet he enjoys being in his room in his house with his monster collection, and he starts relating to the movies growing up how old is he how old is he i'm not sure how old he is like in his 50s 60s he's got to be in his 60s does it yeah mid 60s maybe i don't think he's i i would say he's probably late 50s you think he's listening to the show tonight i wish he was man maybe he can be on because he's the only guy i've seen that has the he's 58 i just looked him up yeah he's 58 okay he's the only one that's got the same uh, stuff i have like the the (laughs) six foot dracula and frankenstein the original box and he's got it in a book uh, called Horror Business that he published. And, um, I mean, I do have a copy of the book. It's not signed by him because I've never met him. But I got to tell you one thing, though. Honestly, not yet. Uh, his, yeah, not yet, right. But his collection is really phenomenal. And the only thing I can tell you, he's got, he doesn't have the seven-foot monster robot. And he doesn't have the Polaris sub. That I guarantee you. <laughs> Does he have the robot monster plans, though? That's the that's the thing. If he did, he would have the seven foot monster, and he would have the sub. Eddie, <laughs> Eddie, Eddie, let me ask you something. Remember, you had the submarine, which nobody in the world's had. My mother wouldn't let me have it. Um, what's the difference between having the original and if you had an exact copy? Somebody made one somewhere. Well, you know what? That that's very interesting. I, I think with the original or not, um, uh, there was a while back where uh, actually uh, Dave Harvest and myself back I don't know about ten eleven years ago reproduced the sub. Right. And we you know we sold the one whatever he sold the one actually because he had it reproduced. And you know what? To be honest with you, it didn't do that well. But when people think, and a good example is there was uh, I forgot what series of Batman comics I think it's called uh, when they were supposedly Batman dies or something like the series. Oh no, the the Dark Knight series I think. 
If you get him right now, you can go buy him in the local bookstore. But yet, if you get the book that came out maybe 10, 11 years ago, it goes for like $500 each because it's the first printing. Um, there's something about having the original. And, and that gets to the same thing as what Mike Messmer was saying and, and Joe said about the digital stuff. People buy the digital stuff because they'll, they'll make this file and it can be reproduced. So they're just buying that one thing because they like the original and they'll keep that thing. And in fact, Joe actually suggested we should make Ghost Ship Times, which is a newsletter we put out. Um, he says to make Ghost Ship Times as a digital product, which it could be made digital. You can still sell copies of it, but the initial copy that is digital will have its own price and value. Um, and that's what I think. I mean, people, for some reason, like to have the original print. It's kind of like the Superman comic. How many reproductions of the original there are? A lot. Yet somebody paid three and a half million for a number one. I believe Donald Trump is one of them that he has one a number one as well. But um, uh, recently, some comic book company bought for three million dollars. They bought a number one and it was all over the Internet. And at the same time, uh, some guy, I forget where in Europe, he bought a poster. He bought a, some luggage at a flea market. And inside the luggage, there was an old briefcase, all rusty. He took a screwdriver, broke it off. And inside he found what he thought was six posters. But when he started unwrapping the poster, he realized it was a, what they called back in the day a six-sheet Frankenstein poster from the original film. Uh, some guy in New York City, I forgot his name, purchased it. And it's probably the, the, the biggest find of modern day of, of the 20th century. Uh, because that poster, it's probably the only one in existence. Uh, there's probably none, none other, you know? Sounds like Indiana Jones. Like, yeah, <laughs> like Indiana Jones. The Lost of. Ark. But, that, but, but people still want the original stuff, and that's why even this NFTs are surviving, because people want something that they can say they have the original off. You, you yeah. know what you're saying about digital art? You know what's interesting? It's a lot of people don't have a lot of space anymore. They're living in apartments or condos. They don't have space to hold all this stuff either. That's well, the, yeah, that's that's the key. You know, I think one of the, the biggest selling points for digital is is space because a lot of people are moving to the smaller houses or apartments and they don't want to part with their collection. Like, I, you know, I, I wouldn't know what to do if I had to move out of a house and into something smaller. I, I guess I would be you know, living around my collection, <laughs> just you, have you, a little spot where I sit, you know, you, with, with you know my, what? my invisible woman. Uh, yeah. That's invisible. You, <laughs> you know what we have to do? I, I got to get together here with Mike. Is he, Mike is a psychologist and he'll no, be no, able to. No, I'm not a psychologist. I'm a clinical hypnotherapist. Well, I mean, the, I'm, what I meant to say is, you know, the hypnotist or psychologist, you know, you could kind of, we could say, you know, either or, and you know what we do? <laughs> we te we then sell people, <laughs> virtual storage this way they can store their invisible art in there and oh we'll wow the space. You know, just think about that what a great business that would be mike <laughs> that's crazy eddie where would you be without your imagination you keep coming up with ideas <laughs> one of these thoughts has to click one day now, now michael you you have a you said you have a degree in is it psychology yeah I, yeah so, so what what is your take on on people today that are just mostly kind of enthralled with, you know, video games, the digital world, do you, how do you think that that affects them, you know, mentally? Well, I think that the doctor already sort of uh, was uh, alluding to the fact that, uh, you know, it, it not only takes away the creativity, but it also, I think it's creating more of a group think um, in a way where individuality is disappearing and, with individuality disappearing, the creativity disappears, the great achievements that we, you know, Eddie had referred to the uh, going to the moon, which, by the way, I'm not sure we did, just to let you know. But <laughs> I, I'm, I'm telling you, Eddie, I don't know how they could get by the Van Allen belt, to be honest. Uh, and, and also, while we got there once with technology that's probably one-tenth of what's in our cell phones, and we can't even get there again with, you know, <laughs> it doesn't make sense anyway. Uh, but, but, uh, and plus I love Capricorn one great film. So anyway, um, uh, but I, I think that it takes away the individuality. It's going towards the Orwellian, you know, you know, 
thoughts and how how what was predicted way back then that people are all going to become like a group think uh, cattle well, that was um, 1984 e- is that what you're talking about yes and they're easily swayed easily swayed as a mass group hence why we see all these crazy things happening in our society currently because the media has swayed people in such a mass uh way so that's sort of my thinking on that well he, let, let me ask you guys i want you guys all to picture this for a second okay Here's is Todd as a salesperson. I'm, I'm picturing this in my brain. Todd Mitchin. He goes down to the local store. Now, he's a salesman that he's trying to peddle his, his, his sales. I mean, his, his novelties. So the first thing he does is he walks in with a suit and tie with nothing in his hands. He takes out his hypno O'Doniger hypno glasses from his pocket, puts them on, and then he does like the mine in 42nd Street, New York, where they, there's an invisible wall, you know, those, what do they call them, the mines? And he brings up what he looks like a, a briefcase and puts it on top of the counter and opens this invisible briefcase and takes out supposedly a booklet and shows it to the store owner. Can you guys picture that? Sure. To peddle his invisible stuff, right? Well, that's just like with the with the invisible yeah. art, you know. Maybe, maybe Eddie, when you sent me the, you know, the, bo- the empty box, maybe... I should have kept that because it was might have been worth something. You know, I, I might have threw away an invisible, you know, well, novelty in there. <laughs> that's the difference between you and Todd. You know why? Because Todd kept his. Did he keep his box? Well, of course he did. He kept it there to be angry at me anytime he wants to get angry at me. He looks at it. I'm, I'm telling you that that's why I told you guys about him peddling stuff because, you know, in reality, he is, or oh, he just finished making. The invisible uh, goldfish, that's going to be put out by Transcience soon. It's a what beautiful co- kit, what, but I'm saying. What color is the goldfish? <laughs> Whatever you know color what? you want it to be. <laughs> you know what, Mike? It's funny when you said what I. I mean, there's so much out there, uh, and it's true what you have. The media has been the prime. See, there's a thing I've always believed in, that you can tell anybody something and they're bound to believe it. And you know what? What makes it different from the person back in the 19th century that sold uh, the Brooklyn Bridge, which was the same guy, I believe, they tried selling the Eiffel Tower, of which he actually did sell. The person that purchased it was a rich you know, person. Um, what is that, uh, that word they used to call in England, like a, not a duke, but he was a very rich uh, royal. Like an aristocrat? Yeah, yes, he was a rich aristocrat. And then what he did is he was so embarrassed about what happened that the guy never went to jail. <laughs> he didn't come forth. <laughs> but the guy... Eddie, asked, this is like your hero. You love this guy. Oh, yeah, you kidding me? In Don't fact, give him ideas. Now he's going to have plans for the Brooklyn Bridge, the South. <laughs> well, I was just going to ask Mike if he wanted to invest in the dock in a piece. What do you do that for, Joe? <laughs> man. I'm all in, man. Let's let's do it, man. We'll, we'll each sell a piece of the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah. We'll split it four, four ways. And, and Eddie, you know, is all this discussion going to make you sell anything? Like fear that nobody wants to buy anything in 20 years. Um, I believe people will buy anything in 20 years because look at it. They're buying nothing now for, for thousands of dollars. Well, look, so you're not going to get rid of you know, anything. Here's another example of, of the invisible kind of concept. You go into any casino in Vegas or certain airports, they're selling oxygen. Right. Oh, you know what? Who was that? Was that oh, a Chinese company that was selling canned, canned air? But literally they, they have oxygen bars. You, you go up and you breathe oxygen. You, they have oxygen in different flavors. They're oh, selling that's, oxygen. That's really? pure oxygen. It's supposed to be like rejuvenate you. Yeah, yeah. But it's in different flavors or smells. And you can buy, you can sit there and enjoy the oxygen bar. Well, one said, other well, thing I want to bring up. We talked about all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe it affects certain people more than others. Maybe not everybody gets absorbed into this whole world. There has to still be people who are not going to get absorbed who tune that stuff all out completely, especially an older generation. Most of my patients, the older ones, don't even have iPhones. But, but don't forget, in a few decades, that those generations are going to be gone. And what do you have left? Oh, shit. I'll nothing. be out of then. <laughs> no, we'll have nothing. But, Michael, you brought up the oxygen bars. That's almost like bottled water, you know. 
oh, I got to go to the store and get some bottled water, even though it's, you know, comes right out of my spigot. I got to go get, you know, bottled water. Yeah. And, and oxygen bars, of course, you can just walk anywhere and have your oxygen, right? <laughs> I mean, oxygen bars. I walk by them. I say, why do this? They have to have their oxygen. You know, it's like, this is insane. How I mean, has what? Eddie not marketed that yet? <laughs> well, you know, I, I was I was actually marketing the uh, dust from uh, the house of the un- unusual basement. Uh, oh, but, you know, we'll we'll do a virtual dust of it in a can or something, you know. <laughs> But here's the thing I'm going to tell you. Guys. But who was that? There was a. But speaking, of, there was a company. I believe they're out of China, and the guy made millions. He was selling cans of air, oxygen yeah. of air. Yeah, you. Yes. I'm like, were you kidding me? Why didn't I think of that? That's like the pet rock. Hey, here's a rock in a box. You know, you, give you me know money. something. You could go find them for free on the ground. Hey guys, yes. <laughs> let me tell you guys something. One one of the person I met a person who is the son of the guy for the pet rock. See, back in, when they invented the pet rock, uh, there was this guy, uh, his father lived in Sweden, or he lived in Sweden, and they were the people that were printing the boxes for the pet rock. And he told me the story that when he was little, his dad would make him go over to the brook with his cousin and pick up rocks and put them into the boxes. <laughs> oh, and, wow. And I want to have him on. He's now, believe it or not, he's the head or acting CEO of a major cosmetic company. I'm not going to say the name because I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say the name on, you know, on the air. But yeah. Yeah. He is. Uh, he's a swell, wonderful guy. And I would love to have his take on that. So he can tell the story. But, but, you know but who here, who here besides me? Cause I'll admit it. I had a pet rock. When well, I it figures, Joe. I had a pet rock. I think maybe early nineties or so somewhere around there. I remember it at the having the, at the corner store. I think a few bucks, and me and the, the boys all bought a pet rock. So I'll, I'll admit it. <laughs> well, yeah, I was I was more of the mood ring and rat fink ring era, but oh no, I remember the mood rings. I definitely had one had one of those too. And that you know that's another thing. Hey, this this ring's going to tell you that I'm angry. Oh, I know I'm angry, but I got to make sure the ring tells me. <laughs> right. That was, that was big, Joe. Very big mic in the 70s. Oh, my God. I remember those rings. I had so many of those things. They were pretty expensive when they came out. They were yes. Bucks. Eddie, I hope that wasn't your engagement ring to your wife. Uh, why are you saying that? <laughs> now she's going to listen, man. You got to keep those secrets, Joe, between me and you, man. <laughs> um, they got to sell to the point that they were selling for like a dollar and stuff. But I, I have quite a few of them still. And I still have my original. But they were big, man. The mood ring was a big thing. Well, and the original ones worked really well, but then when they got the cheaper ones, they didn't work so well. They didn't. But do you remember Mike the Fidget? You oh, yeah. And you had the other sand. What was the name of the other thing that you turned around and the sand would form the different? Uh, and I'm sure Dr. Boyajan probably had it when he was a kid, that the sand would go up and down and form different images. Remember? An Etch-a-Sketch, you mean? Yeah, I think it was the etch No, no, not, not the Etch-a-Sketch. Uh, I love Etch-a-Sketch. It was a little screen, like a TV, and it had knobs on it. No, no, that that's different. That's still no. The one I'm talking about was you had like a it was a transparent uh, glass, and inside there was sand. That when you turned it upside down. Oh yeah. What was that called? I don't know the name of it, but I remember them quite well. Yeah, those things were very popular. My goodness, man. Um, I in fact the the fidget, believe it or not, one of those original fidget. I can, you guys can Google. It sold for almost several thousand dollars. The, the fidget spinners. No, 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 no. The, what the no. fidget was was a small little disc-like thing that you, with your fingers, you squeeze or something, and it would form art inside. It was like a glass thing with something between the glass. Yeah, it was cool. I don't think I've ever seen those. Oh, yeah, they they were very popular. And, you know, let me tell you guys, man, overall, the biggest thing I've noticed, like like the doctor had said earlier and Mike said, when there's a new trend, and this is something you said, Joe, too, when I was growing up, it was back in this 1975-74 was the CBs. Everybody wanted a Citizens Band radio. Right. And, and the biggest thing was you wanted to have the biggest antenna. I remember going to Radio Shack and buying books on how to create and make an antenna. I actually built my own because my parents wouldn't buy me one. Wow. I built the three-element boom, they called it, which was supposed to be very powerful. I got uh, 30 feet of uh, mass pole which is you know the mass pole we put it and i put it up in new york city with my stepdad 
the funny thing about it was that the darn thing worked really good, man. I, I was able to Wow. I still actually, sadly to say, have it today, but um <laughs> hey guys, uh, I'm gonna bust in here real quick. We got about five minutes left in the uh the podcast tonight, so I'm gonna we're gonna go do a little quick round table here and give some uh final thoughts on the uh the topic tonight. So uh Doc, let's start with you. You know, it's funny. I, I was in the town I grew up the other day. I just driving through there, and there's a candy store on the corner that's still there from when I was a kid. Oh, and wow. I was just thinking about we would go in there. You had a couple dollars. You buy some comic books. You get some candy, and that was a huge day for you. And we went there on our bikes. We'd ride there on our stingrays, and uh, I don't know, pleasant memories. I didn't go in again. I had nothing to check out, but that—that's what I thought about. That's my last thought. Awesome. Uh, Michael, what's your, what's your final thoughts for us tonight? I love my Stingray too. That was fun riding the Stingray. That was a, that was an awesome bike. Uh, and, uh, I loved it. Uh, and the banana seat and everything really awesome. But, um, but as far as, um, what the subject tonight, my thought is that it would be wonderful to be back in the day that we grew up because I think they were golden years and uh, I'm not saying that because I'm old. I really feel that there was a lot more value, as the doctor said, uh, and I agree with. But on the other hand, I'm pretty excited about the future because I grew up loving Star Trek, sci-fi. And so, you know, there's two sides to it. Both are different. We just have to, I think in anything in life, it's about moderation, right? So moderation is the key to whatever, whether it's technology or non-technology, whatever activities, it's moderation. And continuing to open your mind to new you know, things, read a lot, read, whether it's uh, on your uh, computer book or in your real book, read, 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 because reading leads to unlocking a lot of important things in the mind. Awesome. Good advice. And the one thing I say about moderation is not when it comes to collecting. <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely not. No moderation and everything else, but not collecting. I Correct. Think my wife would think otherwise, but <laughs> that's right. Correct. So, Eddie, what's your what's your final thoughts for us tonight? You know, my final thoughts as a whole is this. I mean, we are created in God's image. And eventually, as we grow ourselves, it's kind of like if you see today, what happens to people? People back in the 70s, Mike, me, you know, the doctor there, we grew up with record players, DVD. I mean, stuff like that. DVDs were not even there, right? Right. Uh, today, we have a resurgence of records vinyl are big they're hitting it back because apparently we went into that future world but somehow we felt more comfortable being at home so we're bringing back so the way i look at it is like this digital is there we're gonna you know we're gonna grab it we're gonna hug it it will take our lives over and then somehow our own inner selves will want to go back to the tangible world we left and i think we'll be okay as we go forward but one thing i'm going to also say is that one of the greatest things that growing up in our time, and it's it's funny, Mike, you said that you would love to go back. I would love to go back with the money I have today. Right, and, and the knowledge. And purchase all the stuff that I could have, you know, I, I didn't. And, um, you know, it, it, that's something I always think, as, even as a joke, because I love those time travel movies. Yes. And, and, you know, time travel is another thing, another good topic we could talk in future shows. Other than that, i like to tell all our listeners to please... Um, uh, hang on to try to visit our site, continue to make our site grow. And, you know, as you could see, we're going to have a lot more people on our show as they go forward. And our conversations will always be, you know, the best conversation we can come across. Um, so having said that to everybody, God bless. Have a beautiful day. And Joe, you go. All right. Well, my final thoughts is just to touch up on, on everyone else is definitely moderation is, is the key. You know, if you like your digital, your tangible stuff, you know, so be it, you know, maybe try, you know, a little bit of both and, and see what you like, but don't, you know, overdo one for the other. Um, if you're a video game player, hey, that's that's fine. But, you know, do it all in moderation. Sometimes get up off the couch and, you know, maybe go go play outside or have you know, an adventure. Never too old to uh, to go have an adventure, even if it's taking a hike and walking in the woods and just listening to uh just listening to nature and taking in the sight, the sight and sounds, you know, that's, that's an adventure in itself. And um, I'd like to thank everybody for, for joining us once again. Um, all of our listeners out there, thank you for joining us. Uh, head over to your, you know, however you're listening to us on anchor, uh, 
I don't know, whatever, whatever else is out there. You guys know it more than I am, but you know, subscribe to our channel, give us, you know, some good reviews and um, head over to house of the unusual.com. We have a free forum there. A lot of good uh, talks going on and, and conversations and also check us out on YouTube under House of the Unusual. Like and subscribe to uh, our channel. Eddie's always putting out some some great videos there. And you can always catch updates on YouTube and at HouseOfTheUnusual.com. So, uh, Michael, Dr. Roberto, guys, once again, uh, thank you so much for, for coming on and engaging us in this, this conversation. Hope to talk to you guys again very soon. And, Eddie, thanks again. And, everybody, have a good night. Good night, guys. Night. Night. That was awesome. Bye-bye.